0: Hey everyone, Liam here, one half of Birmingham based food podcast Breaking Bread. Really happy to have you all here with us today. Obviously, still no Carl, Carl's still out keeping Birmingham supplied with Wi Fi and internet. I'm still flying solo, which is starting to get a little bit weird. <laughs> Got a really exciting episode now today. I kinda of touched on it on the intro to the last episode. So after two weeks of kinda of mulling around and sulking and thinking what we're we gonna do, I decided there was probably a more productive use of my time and I actually had a kind of bit of a platform where I could actually help either you sitting at home or some of our friends that we've made down the years in the industry, in the hospitality industry, and maybe try and record a few episodes that would be of some kind of use. And I'm really hoping this is one of them episodes that's going to be useful. It's with Michael Buckworth. So Michael Buckworth is the managing director of law firm Buckworths. He's massively experienced in advising startups and high growth companies in a range of sectors, including tech and kind of digital sector, and obviously the hospitality sector. For the past four years, he's been named corporate lawyer of the year. You can find him spending most of his time advising clients on corporate and commercial strategy, as well as dealing with other issues facing these industries. His best place to kind of Give us some great advice, yeah. So we're talking with Michael today to get him to answer a few questions, really, about all the government grants and basically to help all you hospitality businesses, specifically kind of sole traders, self-employed, and the kind of small limited companies with like 50 less or less employees. We did get a little bit onto the kind of bigger side of things, but only briefly, as I thought most of you listening who we're friends with are probably at the smaller end of the scale so we try to tailor it and focus as much as that as we could. He does a great job of explaining it to somebody like me who's, I'm not a businessman. I completely understood everything he, he said and he's made it crystal clear. It's just full of really helpful practical advice. I really hope this is of some use to you and obviously if it is, if you could do us a favour and Obviously, give us a repost or a reshare and a retweet. And I want this episode to be of as much use as possible to as many people as possible. So help us get it out there. Obviously, give us five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, that helps this get listened to by a lot more people as well. Yeah, I just hope it's of some use and hope you're all kind of hanging in there. We miss you. So ladies and gentlemen, Michael Buckler. Hey, Michael, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um no problem. I normally ramble quite a lot at the beginning of a podcast, but I don't want to do that this time. Mm-hmm. As I've said, I think you'd be quite a busy fella, especially at this moment in time with everything that's going on. Yeah. And I really want to make this podcast as useful as possible to as many people as possible. So if we could just start maybe by you introducing yourself and obviously bookworth.
1: Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, as you said, my name is Mike Buckworth. Um, I'm the founder of Buckworth, um, and we are quite unusual uh, in terms of law firms. So we're a law firm, but we're, we're moderately unusual because uh, we work exclusively with with startups and growth businesses. Um, and, and what that really means is it's it's everybody from sort of entrepreneurs who are you know thinking of setting up a business, uh, you know, you know, really almost before they get started. Um, obviously all the way through businesses who are operating uh, and actually all the way to the end. So when businesses get sold and, and you know, the, the founders disappear off and do something else. Um, I guess the sweet spot for us, the bit that we, we really enjoy um, is working with the sort of the early stage companies. Um, and the reason is just because, you know, you get so much more access to really cool ideas and, and really enthusiastic people. Um, and I've certainly found, you know, this is very much sort of the fun end of, uh, of being a lawyer. Um, and yeah it's yeah it's good fun
0: you could have went two roads you would have went either entrepreneur or lawyer and you went lawyer
1: or it's funny it's a good question that so I uh, actually fell into law originally almost by accident I um I did uh, sort of arts, so history and geography and uh, and some language A-levels at school and was thinking of doing a history degree at university Um, and then one day I woke up in the morning and had this sort of epiphany of like oh i should do a degree that's useful um and so as you do ended up doing a law degree and um sort of halfway through your law degree you you obviously get pushed to uh to go and do internships with law firms so they have a sort of a a, quite a fixed recruitment pattern and at that stage I, i was i had no idea what i wanted to do um and so you kind of kind of went along with it you know went to law firms did all of that stuff and when I actually graduated, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, but I had a really good job with a really good law firm lined up. So sort of ended up becoming a trainee, getting qualified as solicitor. Uh, and then back in 2011, when I'd been in law for probably, I don't know, eight, nine years um, uh, in big sort of big city, big city law firms. So doing uh, I was an and acquisitions lawyer. So sort of buying and selling, uh, you know, really big listed companies. Um, I kind of knew it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I had this kind of half idea I wanted to to be an entrepreneur and, and set up a startup. Um, so I quit that job, uh, you know, did bits of stuff with startups and realized that actually running a, a sort of a startup, particularly with what I was thinking of doing in the sort of fintech space, probably wasn't quite where my skill set sat, but that I really enjoyed the startup space. So, you know, set up this firm and, uh, and advise startups. So I guess you could call me a kind of entrepreneurial lawyer if we have been generous, maybe.
0: Yeah, I had that feeling to be honest, That's why I asked uh, yeah. how long has, have you been going now or
1: Yeah, so the phone's been going for be like terrifying. Um I've got eight, eight and a half years now. Um so yeah, quite a long time. Oh, wow. It's obviously a very different place to to when I set it up. So originally it was just me. Um now we've got two offices, uh, main office in London, slightly smaller office up in Manchester. Um and uh, you know, I mean compared to a lot of law firms, we're quite small. Um, We got sort of 15, 16 uh, people, but, you know, certainly, yeah, certainly bigger than it was when
0: I set it up. We're talking mainly because of the current situation, the corona pandemic and how it's affecting businesses and stuff like that. I'm guessing it's made you a busy man. It's a weird one actually, but
1: yeah, it has. Um, We're crazy busy. Uh, Obviously, a lot of the transactional work that we would normally be doing at this time of year, sort of obviously the first day of the new tax year today, um, obviously a lot of that stuff is not really happening or has been postponed, but we are doing a lot of uh, sort of work helping businesses who are obviously struggling, uh, helping them access the, the various uh, relief schemes that are out there. Um, and also ironically, doing all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff that I think clients have, it's the kind of boring legal stuff you put on your to-do list. It's not massively important, but you kind of put it there and one day think you'll do it. We've got a lot of clients who are, are now doing that so yeah, we're, we're crazy busy actually.
0: Is there a reason in particular you wanted to help uh, businesses? Cause some, a lot of the help you've been given, like you've, you've gave some talks through event and some bits like that. So they're not all for your clients. It was open to anybody. So was there a reason why you wanted to do that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think for a lot of businesses um, now is a pretty scary time. Um, and i think pretty heartbreaking as well if you know particularly particularly younger businesses businesses where you know they're very still much sort of founder owned and managed um you know just those people have have probably spent the last x amount of their lives um completely dedicated on setting up their business and now through literally no fault of their own they can't generate revenue they can't trade um i mean it's pretty horrendous i think for everybody uh and so you know i think Part of it is just helping people understand the, the relief they can access and and trying to help people figure out what to do. Um, I think we realized quite quickly just from the the sort of questions that were coming from our clients that the schemes themselves um, are not always that easy to navigate. And I think a lot of our clients were asking a lot of the same questions. So we kind of figured that we could do you know various different events and that sort of thing to, to help people navigate the schemes and figure out what they needed to do.
0: Yeah, and in typical government fashion, they're never as clear as they really should be. <laughs> yeah, although actually, um, I'd agree with you generally, but I think the government have done a
1: really good job uh, in respect of these schemes in that the guidance they've put out is way, way better than normal, uh, and actually is is relatively easy to understand. I think, and I should probably say that obviously comes from a lawyer who who's you know used to reading a lot of HMRC guidance, but. I actually think the government has done quite a good job at, at, at getting these schemes out there really remarkably quickly in context um, and providing sort of guidance that kind of fits together and broadly makes sense, um, or at least can be interpreted by, you know, lawyers and accountants on behalf of clients.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe I'm just thinking that it was, maybe they announced the reliefs, but then didn't kind of put the links up to anything until maybe a couple of days later. So there was a few days where, some of the smaller business owners were thinking, "Oh, is it definitely coming? How do I apply?" And yeah, but I suppose it's to be expected when they're doing legislation like this, like just off the cuff, pretty much. It's yeah, I think that's bad.
1: right. Yeah, I th- I think that's right, and I think you know the government's uh, sort of I guess initial priority was to calm people down, make sure that people realised the government were going to help, um, and sort of get the message out there that that they were they were stepping in where they could. Um, and I think you're right. The the guidance obviously took took additional time to come out, and presumably they have to consult with HMRC about how they do it. Um, and obviously today, as as we're talking, um, you know, a number of the schemes are still not actually available so that people can claim against them. So the furlough scheme we'll talk about in a sec, um, that sort of online system is not yet there. Um, but I think you know the government are obviously working on it, and, and it'll pop up in the near future, hopefully.
0: So you said you wanted to help mainly because of the kind of the people who are struggling are the ones that seem to be like the middle sized companies to the smaller, to the entrepreneur and the sole trader. And as like we're not personally involved in the hospitality scene, but mm. we're very closely linked through doing this podcast and we've become really good friends with a lot of these people who own their company, but also run it like day to day that they're, they're mm. on the front line cooking at the street food festivals and stuff like that. And it was that was the reason where I thought I can try and do something to help here and when I found yourself through somebody else on Twitter and then I thought yeah we could we could definitely get some advice so I'd like most of the advice kind of tonight that we'd be going through would probably be aimed at the like smaller um, limited companies that maybe have like less than 50 employees and the sole traders mm-hmm. a lot of them now their staff will probably be already fought furloughed and they're probably kind of wondering now like what's the next kind of step you know um they were probably worried about their staff more than anything to be honest a lot of them i spoke to were mostly worried about them but yeah, yeah if we start by just talking about the job retention scheme yeah sure is that a good place to start yeah yeah i think that makes
1: sense so i mean this i think is a scheme that's received uh, the most attention um i mean primarily because it is I think a scheme that's applicable to, you know, a huge number of businesses and and is and is I suspect very helpful to a lot of people. Um, the, the way it works essentially is it's it's designed to um, really maintain the, the 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 employment and the sort of the the flow of salary to uh, employees whilst the COVID nineteen crisis goes on. Um, and the idea is that businesses who have employees who are not able to do any work because there's no work for them to do so your classic example would perhaps be a restaurant um, that restaurant is closed by by government order um all of the chefs the waiting staff um you know all of those 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 people in that business simply have no work to do um now the normal approach you know absent government reliefs would be that you would have to either put staff onto unpaid leave um or you might have to go through a redundancy process and and fire them all um, and the purpose of this scheme is to help businesses not do those things. So for those staff who have nothing to do, you can, what's called furlough them, which is a new concept, um, you furlough them. So you, you notify them that, that, that they, they have no work to do. Um, and once you have done that, the government will pay 80% of their uh, salary up to a, a maximum cap of two and a half grand a month. Um, to them for the duration of the duration of the period in which they're on furlough, um, and currently the government have got that scheme in place for three months from uh, from the beginning of March. Uh, sorry, so uh, three months from the end of March. Um, so that's kind of the idea of it. Um, yeah. I think the wrinkles in it um, are in a couple of places. So the first one is that it only applies to. Um, employees who have no work to do whatsoever. So you can't put people on a furlough who just got a reduced workload. So only people who have nothing to do. Um, yeah. And I think the second wrinkle is that it applies to employees who uh, were employed um, as at the 28th of February. So anybody who was retained uh, and taken on um, after that date isn't eligible for the scheme. So applies to most employees, but not all of them.
0: Well, but. A business who wants to lay off employees, can they still do that during the, even though they've been furloughed?
1: Yeah, they can, and I and I think the the difficulty for for businesses is um, it, it's probably it, it's it's when the furlough period ends in the main. So I think a lot of uh, the the hospitality industry clients that that we are speaking to are concerned about what happens when they're allowed to start trading again? Because obviously there is a sort of a setup cost. So there is an expense that they have to pay in order to reopen their businesses and, and get back up and running. Um, yeah. So for a restaurant, they have to, you know, they have to buy food. Um, they have to get all their supplies in. Um, that may require them to actually pay any arrears that are due to suppliers before before they can reorder. Um, you know, they potentially may have to to pay up-to-date, you know, rents and this kind of stuff. So there's, a, there's an actual cost of them getting up and running. And I think a lot of uh, hospitality industry businesses are concerned about how they are going to be able to open their sites, and if perhaps if they got loads of them, how they're going to be able to open all of them. Um, and they're concerned that actually once they get to the end of the furlough period, they may not be able to pay the full salaries employees of employees going forwards. Um, and so what we're seeing is a lot of... Um, A lot of sort of uh, businesses worrying about that and i guess the problem is if you wait until the end of the furlough period um, and then you decide that you're going to lay off uh, staff uh, you have to pay their notice period so you would have to pay out their contractual notice Um, and depending on the the length of that period you know potentially some businesses that's a month potentially three months um, uh, of of salary they're going to have to come up with so what a lot of businesses are doing is actually looking now at what staff, if any, they're going to have to lay off and actually serving notice on staff that they expect to not be able to retain. And the way they're doing that is saying to them, look, we'll put you on furlough. Um, we're giving you notice today. Your notice will start to run whilst you're on furlough um, and it will expire at the end of the furlough period. So it, it gives employees an ability to sort of manage that, that, that notice period um, whilst people are on furlough. And I think above and beyond that, um, putting people on furlough doesn't impact on uh, the ability of employers to, you know, terminate uh, their employment. If you've got somebody who commits gross misconduct, although, you know, possibly difficult to imagine how they do that whilst they're on furlough, but, you know, you've got a reason to fire somebody, um, you can still fire them whilst they're on furlough. That's absolutely fine.
0: So you can change their contract. Could you make them part-time or something like change their hours from full-time to part-time or zero?
1: Yeah, so that sort of depends on, um, on what the, the employment contract says. Um, for most employees uh, and most employment contracts, you won't have a, a right to do that. And so in that circumstance, uh, you would even need to get the consent of the employee to, to change their contractual terms. Or if you're going to do it to a, a large number of employees, you would probably have to consult. Um, so, you know, employment law sits across the top of all of this. Um, and employers do need to remember to, com- to comply with employment law in anything that they do. Um, and I think probably if you're if you're thinking of you know significantly changing the the terms of employment of people, um, I suggest having a talk to a lawyer because if you get it wrong, you're potentially making people redundant. Um, you're potentially um, you know running to sort of unfair dismissal claims, though, those kinds of issues, which could be a lot more expensive than um, well talking to a lawyer in the first place
0: yeah definitely so it's pretty much similar to if it wasn't kind of corona time it was it's just follow the same procedure basically
1: yeah I think the crucial thing is that just because of this COVID-19 um, crisis it doesn't get you out of employment or obligations they apply to businesses in the same way as they always would Um, yeah. uh, and I think that's something that you know everybody should be aware of and, and everybody should you know should make sure they do their best to comply we
0: said that a lot of our listeners would be kind of directors or founders of these businesses. Can they apply for it? Or?
1: Yeah, they can. So um, uh, directors and officers who are uh, who are paid through PAYE, so the pay as you earn system, um, whether or not they are, or they view themselves as employees or not, if they're paid through a PAYE system um, and they were recorded on that system as of the 28th of February, um, they are able to uh, furlough themselves Um, Now, actually, interestingly, HMRC um, put out some guidance, some further guidance today um, on furloughing for uh, directors and officers to provide a bit more clarity about how that works. Um, And the reason they put that out was because uh, lawyers, people like me, were worried about um, whether directors who were placed on furlough, uh, bearing in mind that people on furlough are not allowed to, to perform any work for the business, whether they would still be able to comply with their, their director's duties. Obviously, directors have ongoing duties under the Companies Act to you know, monitor and, and ensure that the company continues to, 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 to act in a way that is compliant with the law. Um, we were concerned that that obligation may make directors ineligible for furlough. The good news is HMRC put some guidance out today, which makes it clear that that is fine. So continuing to, with directors' duties and making sure that the business is, 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 is compliant, that's fine. It doesn't stop a director being on furlough. What they can't do is they can't get involved in revenue generation, uh, you know marketing activities, that kind of stuff.
0: Are, are businesses able to apply for this right now? Is the money coming through to businesses or does the business still continue to pay the employer as normal? Yeah.
1: So the, the furlough scheme uh, the the actual claim system isn't yet up and running. Um, HMRC uh, are developing that at the moment. Um, the, the guidance that came out this morning suggested they expect it to be up in the next couple of weeks um, and they expect that money uh, will be able to be paid to businesses um, at the end of April. Um, so I think that's the sort of target timeline. Um, as far as whether there's a link between the obligation to pay salary to employees and the government making the money available, uh, in legal terms there isn't. So um, I think important point here, it isn't that the government are paying the employees um, the eighty percent of their salary. Um, the employer has the obligation to pay the employees. Um, if employers apply for the furlough scheme, HMRC will make a payment to the employer, which they will have to pass on to the employees. Um, so you're quite you're quite right in your your suggestion. If uh, the money doesn't come through from HMRC, uh, you know, before the end of April, then there could be a sort of cash flow issue for businesses who have an obligation to pay for those uh, employee salary but don't necessarily have the cash to do it. Um, and potentially that's where some of the additional grants um, and perhaps the uh, the coronavirus loan schemes come in to help them with that sort of cash cash flow shortfall.
0: Obviously, cash flow seems to be the most important thing at the minute. Some of the things they're going to want to know what they can and can't pay. What about businesses looking about rent that's rent due. Do they have to pay it?
1: Yeah, so... Unfortunately, there's nothing that protects businesses really from the obligation to pay rent. Um, One of the unfortunate things about leases, particularly obviously leases property contracts, is that um, they're tied to the landlord making the property available for occupation uh, and not to the ability of the business to carry on its trade. Um, And so for most uh, hospitality businesses, the fact that they're not able to generate revenue and the fact that they're not able to open doesn't get them off the hook for for paying the rent. Um, The the, the only exception to that is um, the circumstance where people have got a unit in, uh, let's say, a shopping centre, and that shopping centre has closed entirely um, and is not allowing uh, the owners of businesses to access their premises. Now, in that circumstance, you could argue that Um, the landlord is not meeting its obligations under the lease um, by allowing what's called quiet enjoyment of the property. So basically the ability for the tenant to use the property. Um, And you could potentially go further and argue that actually the the lease is frustrated, um, which could potentially allow the tenant to to terminate the lease. So I think that slightly niche example of that sort of shopping centre that's closed is probably the one example where people can get out of paying their rent obligations. Um, And actually we've seen it. Uh, with a couple of the sort of big uh, shopping center providers. They, they haven't necessarily acknowledged that they're not entitled to charge the rent, but they have been given sort of, they have been giving tenants rent, rent holidays as a result. So that's kind of the legal position, which is, is obviously not great. The yes. small things that, that potentially help the, the government announced, uh, I think last week or perhaps a couple of weeks ago, that they would prevent commercial landlords from uh, forfeiting leases. Um, as a result of tenants not paying their rent uh, during the, the current three-month period, so you know March onwards. Um, now that, on the surface, sounds great, but the problem is that all it meant and all it means is that uh, landlords can't forfeit so terminate leases. Um, it doesn't seem to mean that they can't pursue tenants in other ways. And so what we've seen. Uh, uh, in in the London market is some more aggressive landlords effectively saying to tenants if you don't pay your your, your rent obligations on time we'll present winding up petitions to have the company wound up um or, or you know that's for a company uh potentially if you had a, a sole trader they could present a bankruptcy petition to have the uh the sole trader made uh bankrupt so i think there is a a sort of a risk with relying too much on that that sort of government protection with uh you know in not allowing landlords to forfeit leases of course what i suggest is talking to landlords trying to negotiate with them you know trying to get a reduction of rent or if that's not possible um you know a delay a payment plan if you like um i think the difficulty is that you know different landlords have different cost bases and different different problems here um you know small private landlords are probably struggling or would struggle if they weren't being paid rent as much as the rest of us, because you know they may have mortgages to pay, um, you know they may, may need the rent to support other things that they're doing, paying mortgages, all that kind of stuff. So it might be very difficult for them in practice to to agree to uh, to waive rent or or even to delay it. Um, but obviously, you can only sort of get a feel for that if you if you talk to you know talk to landlords and see what they've got to say for themselves.
0: Yeah, they can't all be bad. <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think I kind of expected, actually, that the bigger landlords um, would be more lenient. And I don't think that's necessarily been the case. Um, you know, some some landlords, um, I think, have been quite cooperative, have agreed payment plans um, whereby they still get the full amount of the rent in the long run, but they're allowing tenants to defer payment for periods of time. A lot of landlords who've got rent payable um, quarterly have been allowing tenants to pay monthly um, just to sort of help them manage cash flow and avoid, you know, bigger, bigger sort of payments in one point in time. Um, And, you know, some, some landlords have have not been cooperative. Um, I I think, I think all you can do is talk to landlords, try to, you know, try to find a a compromise that, you know, gets as much flexibility as you can uh, whilst balancing, you know, the needs that the landlords have. Um, my advice to clients is tended to be if you're not getting anywhere with reduction in rent uh, then try and just agree a payment plan so you acknowledge you have responsibility to pay all the rent that's due but you ask the landlord to to be given a little bit of forbearance and, and pay it over a, a slightly longer period
0: yeah so if you are unfortunate enough to have one of them landlords and obviously that's a dead end for you to keep in hold of some of your cash flow there might be some other kind of relief from the government, um, I've obviously read about the business rates relief yep. and grants. Uh, yeah, about so, that.
1: so I think the, the really good news um, for uh, hospitality, um, leisure and retail businesses is the business rates relief that the government have announced. So this was initially capped uh, at uh, businesses that had a rateable value of £51,000 or less. Um, but it has now been extended to to everybody. So if you fall within those those sort of sectors, um, uh, your business rates should be uh, zero for the entirety of the current uh, tax year. So that's potentially really great for you know a lot of businesses. Um, what I would say is uh, it's definitely worth businesses um, looking at the uh, the actual guidelines on this. Um, Specifically because the the definition of hospitality, leisure and retail is way, way, way broader than a lot of people would think. Um, So, you know, it covers restaurants, coffee shops, um, you know, shops on the high streets, you know, but it also covers, you know, sports grounds, hotels, uh, beauty, beauty salons, nail salons, um, spas, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff that you wouldn't immediately think um, would actually be covered. Um the, the huge flaw in the, uh, in the definition uh, is it doesn't cover solicitors, which as you can imagine is a tragedy that, that does need to be resolved. Um, but yeah, it doesn't cover solicitors, doesn't cover um, other sort of professional, uh, you know, architects, accountants, that kind of stuff. Um, but actually it, it covers a lot of other businesses. So people who are not, you know, who, who perhaps think they're not covered by this scheme Check the definitions um, on the HMRC website and and make sure that you're, you're definitely not covered because uh, yeah it's pretty it is a pretty broad um, a pretty broad uh, a pretty broad definition.
0: So how, how exactly does it work? The rate right itself, the rates relief really work.
1: Yeah, so um, people don't need to do anything. Um, local authorities will write to businesses that uh, that they believe qualify um, to reissue their rates bill um and if necessary give them credits for any rates that they have paid uh, already um a lot of local authorities have already written those letters so we're aware of a huge number of our clients have already had those letters um i think businesses who haven't received them in the next couple of weeks it's definitely worth going through to the local authority and asking you know what's going on why you haven't received it um it may be that they haven't uh, done anything yet, It maybe they haven't realized you're eligible. So you know, if you haven't got anything in a couple of weeks, definitely go back to the local authority.
0: And are they taxable?
1: Uh, it's a good question. Um, the actual rates relief itself wouldn't be taxable. But if we go just back to that furlough scheme we were talking about, the payments that, um, that HMRC pay uh, for that 80% contribution, uh, that is treated as income. So um, those payments would have to be declared as income in the, uh, the, the corporation tax returns or the, the tax returns that people are doing um, for this tax year. Um, and potentially they'd have to pay tax on them. And the good news is that um, the normal rules around deductions. So obviously paying salary uh, and, and, and employment costs is a, is a deductible allowance, a deductible amount. So um, you still get those deductions. But yeah, furlough scheme, taxable um, rates relief. Uh, it, it's not. You're just not paying the rates.
0: That would be a big help, actually, for a lot of the ones listening to this, especially. The, the only mm-hmm. thing I'm a bit nervous of it says grants that makes it sound like it's repayable.
1: Yeah. So the so that's business rates, and then the grants. Um, there's there's two different grants available depending on um, the uh, the the rateable value of the businesses. Um, and as you say, these grants are a uh, slightly a slightly weird term for it so the first thing to say is um, they're not repayable so that is obviously grades um businesses don't have to repay them they're not loans they are um, yeah they're, they're, they're non-refundable grants um but the second thing to say about them is they are taxable as income so um you're going to have to pay tax on the uh on the money that you receive so there are two um there are two grants available um, the first one is for uh, 10,000 um, and the second one is for uh, 25,000. Basically, um, the way that those uh, grants are judged is based on the rateable value of um, uh, of the premises. So if you have um, a premises with a rateable value of uh, um, up to, I think it's 25K from memory. Um, yeah, let me have a quick look. Yeah, so if you've got a rateable value um, of uh, up to, sorry, 15,000. Um, then you're entitled to um, a grant of, uh, of £10,000. And if you've got a rateable value of uh, £15,000 to £51,000, um, then you're entitled to a grant of £25,000. Um, now, for businesses who aren't sure what their rateable value is, um, if you just go onto Google um, and, and just search for sort of finds my rateable value, um, it will take you to a gov.uk website website, Pop in your address, um, and then you can search through and find um, the, the the registration for your property, and it will tell you what the rateable value is. Um, so that's that's kind of the best way to figure that out. Um, the,
0: so that, the yeah, grant, those are sort
1: of two grants available. Um, yeah.
0: This is the grant that's commonly referred to as the small business grant.
1: So, yeah, so, so those are the re, what, what I think are called the retail and hospitality grant schemes. There is, there is then, a as you say, a, um, a small business grant, which is um, a £10,000 mm-hmm. grant. And that's, that's the same kind of concept, but it is slightly, um, it's slightly different. So this basically applies to businesses that pay either no business rates or a small amount of business rates. Um, and, and what generally that means is they're on one of the, re- the current rate relief schemes. Um, and there are effectively three different re- relief schemes. The first one is the small business rates relief scheme. That'll apply to a lot of uh, you know, smaller businesses, um, you know, particularly in the retail and, um, and hospitality space. There's then the rural rates relief scheme, uh, which is primarily for, as you'd imagine, uh, businesses uh, sort of operating in the countryside and doing um, rural related stuff. Um, and then finally, there's the tapered reliefs. And tapered reliefs apply to businesses that um, have rateable values that that, that lead up to uh, up towards sort of 15,000. So for those, for people who fall under those three reliefs, uh, they can get that that sort of 10,000 small business rates relief uh, grants as well.
0: And you can get them both. Oh, that's good. Um, just, a, I've got a specific question just from um, somebody who listens to the podcast and is a friend of mine. Hmm. Basically, they it's a small coffee shop that's opened up in Warsaw. They occupied the business premises on the 28th of February. Uh, small, Yeah, so they applied for the small business rate relief. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I forgot to notify Council of mm-hmm. Occupation and apply for the small business rate of relief until the 17th of March. Mm-hmm. Are they likely to be banned from claiming that uh, small business grant? I think...
1: I think there's a couple of points on it. So, when when they applied shouldn't really matter. Um, I think it's a question of when they said that their occupation began. Uh, so, if they basically said that that their occupation began, you know, on twenty eighth of February when they when they when they got involved uh, or when they moved into the property, that should be fine. Um, as far as the so so that's the. Uh, That will be the position on the grant. I think the best thing to do there would be to go through to the local authority, um, see if they have uh, processed the request, um, and check what date they have got down as the date of occupation. Um, If they haven't got the 28th of February, it's probably worth changing it um, uh, and and providing any evidence required to support that position. Local authorities have got a little bit of wiggle room on this one, and I think probably for the grant they might argue this is a little bit of a, uh, a sort of a residual grey area, um, but I think it's it's definitely worth pushing them um, uh, if they're not coming out with the right decision, you know, challenging it, appealing it, um, you know, I think, yeah, def- definitely worth pushing that one. Um, as far as the just the standard business rates relief are concerned, um, the 28th of February isn't a qualification date, so... Um, they should still be entitled to the rates relief um, if, if in any other way they, 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 they qualify.
0: Oh, brilliant. That, that'd be some kind of comfort, I think, to them I'll get them to kind of look into that. Covered the kind of smaller businesses but, and employers, but what about people that are self-employed? Yeah. There'll be a few of them listening as well.
1: Yeah, so the government were perhaps a little bit slower at um, bringing out the, the schemes for self-employed people. And I think the reason for that was primarily that if you think about it, the government don't have uh, as much information about self-employed people as they do about about employed people. Uh, with employed people, every single month they get a whole bunch of information through the PAUE system. For self-employed, they effectively get that information once a year when when tax returns are filed. And so, reading between the lines, I think the government were were just struggling to figure out how they were going to, um, you know, sort of get the right information to be able to make a scheme work. Um, but the good news is they've, they've introduced a scheme or they've announced a scheme that is actually conceptually relatively similar to, to the furlough scheme for employees. So yeah. um, the idea is that it pays to self-employed people 80% of their earnings, um, again, up to a monthly cap of two and a half thousand. Um, and that's over the three month period for March. Uh, so giving it a total cap of seven and a half K. Um, now, slightly differently to the employee scheme, that the, the sums are paid in one go. So you make one claim for the whole uh, three month period. Now, the the rules are perhaps inevitably a little bit more complicated. Um, so the scheme only applies to self-employed people whose what are called trading profits. So effectively, the the profits of their sole trader um, were either less than fifty thousand. Uh, in the 2018-19 tax year, um, or if they're more than 50,000 in that tax year, on average for the 16, 17, 17, 18, and 18-19 tax years, they were less than 50k. So, effectively, if you've got earnings more than um, 50k in the 2018-19 tax year, um, then you need to look back at the average across the, the you know, the 16, 17, 17, 18, 18-19 tax year. If you're below 50k across the average, then great, you 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 can go ahead and uh, and make a claim. Um, And then the other sort of requirement here um, really relates to um, the source of uh, of the self-employed person's revenue. So the crucial thing is that at least half of the income that the self-employed person has must come from their self-employed trading profits. And the reason is HMRC are trying to avoid a situation where... Uh, you have somebody who is paid a you know a salary. They have a they have a job paid through P-O-A-E. Um They're furloughed on that, and then they start trying to claim under the self-employed scheme as well.
0: Um, Got to do a bit of both, and then claim both.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that that's kind of the way the scheme works. And the as we said with the furlough scheme for employees, the the cutoff date for um, employees to be on the POAE system. Uh, so for the furlough scheme, it's the twenty eighth of February. 2020. um, So a relatively recent date. Um, The difficulty uh, for the self-employed scheme is that the cutoff date is effectively earlier. Um, The the relevant date here is that the the self-employed person has to have submitted a a self-assessment tax return for the 18-19 tax year. Um, and, And I think that you know, effectively much earlier uh, reference date just reflects the fact that HMRC just don't have and have no way to get current information for, for self-employed people. Um, yeah, so, the, so the cool. sort of requirements there are, yeah, tax return for eighteen nineteen tax year, um, and it must be submitted in the next couple of weeks. So I think the big message to self-employed people is if you ain't done your tax return, get it in straight away um, or you won't qualify for the scheme.
0: I've heard that actually, are they fast tracking some of the um, some of it as well to try and get it in fast to make sure it does get in in time? Or?
1: Yeah, I think I <laughs> we do lots of work with accountants and um, there are some very stressed accountants out there at the moment who have had clients who generally have uh, have been relatively chilled about filing tax returns who've suddenly popped up with panicking uh, because they need all this stuff done in the next couple of weeks to make sure they qualify for the schemes. Um so we should all have a moment of sympathy perhaps for for accountants <laughs> who so are having to handle this one yeah.
0: what happens if you've been tried in less than a year as
1: a sole trader i mean the the answer the the answer is that you you don't you don't qualify for this scheme um, so unfortunately you're you're left with um, with having to apply for for universal credit which is um, the the newish uh, version of unemployment benefit um, now the good news uh, is that the government introduced, uh, in the context of the coronavirus crisis, a, a special version of um, universal credit for uh, self-employed people, um, and that is, uh, and they, they've also increased the uh, the level of award for universal credit by a thousand pounds a month. So it is, um, you know, it's it's much more generous than it used to be. Um, the, the problem, though, is that, as you can imagine, huge numbers of people are trying to apply for universal credit at the moment. Yeah. Um, I read in the paper that, uh, that they reckon it's sort of potentially almost a million people who have tried to apply. Um, and what that means is, uh, you know, the application process is, is much, much slower. Um, we had a client who tried to fill in the online forms to uh, to start the qualification process and was five thousandth in the queue um, so it's it's difficult I think to to get signed up um, uh, and obviously you know once you've got signed up you have to be interviewed and you have to speak to uh, you know to to officials to understand you know what you're entitled to and, and all this kind of stuff so I suspect what we'll see is uh, a concerted effort by government to speed that process up um, but I think my advice would be, if you don't qualify for any of the other schemes, um, and obviously you, you know, you need um, some help, then you know, try and get that universal credit application made as soon as possible because uh, you know, the, the, the quicker you do it, the, the quicker you'll get money.
0: It does get backdated, does it?
1: Yeah, I believe it does. Um, yeah, I think it does. I think it's, I think it's more an issue of um, just being able to get the application in and, and processed uh and and being able to get access to funds in a timely manner
0: yeah i suppose that's no comfort if you're struggling now i suppose but yeah. that's just what you have to do if you get it in as fast as you can that be for the best yeah we obviously we've aimed most of this at the small and the sole trader and but obviously there's a couple more we might have a few listeners who are, have a big big company and yeah. there is a few kind of options available to them there's some loans and Mm-hmm. Bits and pieces like that. So if you have time, it'd be good to go through that just, just for the people yeah. that are listening.
1: I know, you're quite right. We, we can talk about the uh, the business loan scheme, which actually is available to, um, to, to, to small businesses as well.
0: Um, yeah, but, but sorry. I, 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 yeah. I made that assumption because mm. I'd assume most of the smaller businesses, probably it wouldn't be much of an option for them. I should have said that. Yeah, I didn't make it quite clear. It's it is open to them, but it's not really it's not a good option for them. <laughs> I think I
1: think that's right. And I, I think the difficulty is that if you're a small business and you have got no revenue coming in or minimal revenue coming in, um taking a loan is 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 not a particularly particularly attractive solution because it's gonna to have to be repaid, you're just simply increasing the liabilities on your balance sheet. Um, and I think to make matters worse um, the a lot of the high street banks have not been as flexible and cooperative as perhaps I suspect the government intended um, so there is a lot of reports of um, banks charging quite high interest rates um, asking for personal guarantees from directors uh, which obviously you know makes the directors personally liable if um, if they're not if the business defaults on the loan um you know similarly, we've heard sort of stories from clients of banks imposing relatively onerous uh, qualification criteria and asking for quite significant amounts of documentation that uh, is, is difficult for businesses to to provide in the short term so I think I think you're right those those business schemes are perhaps not hugely attractive for, for smaller businesses um, for bigger businesses though potentially potentially they they are more attractive so the um, the schemes basically Uh, allow businesses to to borrow through loans, overdrafts, invoice finance and asset finance, um, up to £5 million. um, And that can be repayable for over a period of up to six years. Um, The government have uh, sort of paid, agreed to pay um, the interest for the first 12 months um, and also the the sort of arrangement fees that are are payable to the bank in, in setting up the loans. So I think to that extent, it's, it is quite attractive. Um, now in the background, what the banks have done, uh, sorry, what the government has done through the British Business Bank is um, guarantee 80% of the, uh, of the value of the loan. Um, and so you would have thought that that would reduce the risk of the borrower by 80%, but it isn't actually how it works. It actually reduces the risk of the bank. Um, and I think this is sort of one of the challenges with these schemes, with, with these loans. Um, In the event that that the borrower can't repay, um, the bank would declare a default and then the bank would come after the borrower. Um, And if there's a personal guarantor, they come after the personal guarantor as well. Um, They recover as much as they can from the borrower and any guarantor. Um, And then they make the claim for any excess against the government. So it doesn't really impact the risk for the borrower. Uh, It impacts the risk for the bank. Um so that I think is for me, I don't see these loans as being hugely attractive. Um uh but you know, I think you're right, bigger businesses may be more able to take on that risk and and, and better able to uh to sort of fund it in the long term. And in fact they might actually view uh, a twelve month interest free period as 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 cheap borrowing and 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 worth
0: doing. I can't help but think that maybe Businesses are end up, having to pay for this further down the line. Maybe next year or something. Do you foresee like a, a VAT increase or?
1: I just think it's inevitable. I mean, the government are stumping up really unprecedented amounts of money, um, and that is is coming at a time when their tax receipts are going to massively fall because businesses aren't trading. Um, and just common sense says that the government, they're going to have to, you know, recover that money somehow in the short to medium term. And I think logically that equals tax rises um, of some kind. Um, it is difficult, I think, to see how on earth the government can avoid tax rises, um, bearing in mind how much money is being pumped into into the economy. Um how they do it and where the tax rises sit, uh, I've no idea. But but I think tax rises are probably going to be uh, certainly in the future. Um, I think the the difficulty for the government is I see two two well two very big decisions for them. The first one is the balance between keeping the um, economy closed in order to protect the health of um, of the British population. Uh, and to protect the nhs and make sure it doesn't get over uh you know sort of um over capacity um so that sort of priority against the increasingly urgent need to get the economy up and running again and i think that's an incredibly difficult balance for for the government to make and and it's probably that's the decision that whatever they do they're going to get criticized for because You know, everyone's going to look sit there in the future and say they opened up the economy too soon, or they left it too late. Um, So I think that's one difficult thing. And I think the second thing is just around at what point, or what do they do, and at what point do they start trying to recover the money they paid out? Because presumably we're walking into a form of a recession. And I think if if they start taxing or increasing tax rates too soon, they run the risk of extending that recession. Um, if they leave it too long, then we potentially have remarkably high borrowing. So I think it's going to be interesting seeing what the government do over the next couple of years. Um, But certainly we're going to have to pay this money back somehow, yeah.
0: Yeah, I got that feeling. That was more of a personal question than for anyone else. I'll just, that's the only way I could see it going. But I don't don't really want to finish the podcast on something so doom and gloom, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Was there anything else that, I think it feels like we've covered quite a lot.
1: I think I think the sort of the the last sort of topic I would actually sort of talk about would would actually and and potentially counterintuitively be around um, raising equity investment from private investors. Um, Now it seems to me that businesses, as we said earlier, are going to need cash to sort of reopen um and get get up and running and back to normal um you know the government have done a pretty fantastic job i think of providing you know all of these reliefs to to keep businesses alive and and to make sure that you know employees and and self-employed people are paid uh whilst the economy is shut down but i think that going forwards it's going to be uh quite difficult for the government to provide that sort of those cash injections to to help businesses get up and running and to me that's potentially where the private sector comes in and and angel investors um, so individual investors with uh, some money to burn um, I think there's an opportunity for them to uh, come into the market um, and help uh, small to medium-sized businesses who you know need that cash rate to get up and running um, and certainly what we've been saying to clients is, You know, don't leave it until you need the cash, until you want to open your doors again. Actually get out there now, talk to people, um, try to get those conversations going uh, and try to get some investment in the door. Um, Because that I think is going to be hugely important. And I think, you know, let's be honest, a lot of businesses who are now in trouble are businesses that are fantastic businesses. They've done really well. Um, They were profitable businesses. They were growing. Um, the only reason they're in trouble now is the, the the coronavirus crisis, which is completely outside of their control. Um, those businesses have an awesome story to tell. And I think yeah. going to investors and talking to investors now and saying, you know, look at our history, look at what we've done. We need 50, 100, 200K to get back up and running. Let's have a talk about commercial terms. I actually think that that conversation should go quite well.
0: Yeah, that's good. It's good advice to be a bit proactive about it now before you really need it. So, yep. if I, you've you've gave plenty of really good advice and you've really helped, well, you've helped me understand it. I'm sure you'll help a lot of our listeners uh, understand it. If they wanted to talk more, would they be would they be able to call and speak to yep. a consultant at Bookworth? Or
1: yeah, of course. So, um, absolutely. Uh, I think three ways to uh, to sort of get in contact uh, with us. Um. The first thing through the website, so uh, buckwiths.com. Um, on the website, we have uh, an insight section, which has got um, you know various different articles on relevant areas of law and actually specifically an article on the um, furlough scheme and a broader article on um, on the different government schemes available um, through the sort of COVID-19 crisis. Um, second way, uh, by all means, drop us an email. Um, best email address is office at buckwiths.com. Um, that'll get picked up by by one of my team, and 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 you know we can we can sort of get a lawyer talking to you about any issues you've got. Um, and finally, of course, if you want to give us a call and and have a chat to somebody, um, best number is oh two oh seven nine five two one seven two three, and all of that stuff can be can be found
0: on our website anyway. Great. Yeah, I'll stick links and everything into all the show notes and onto our website and stuff like that. So, cool. people People having no trouble finding you. I really appreciate this, Michael. Um, no problems. And- has been brilliant cool
1: well lovely to lovely to talk to you and uh yeah i hope that was useful
0: all right michael thank you
1: Thanks. thanks